Yeah, so basically, I mean, you know how it goes. Welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. Today on the show, I'm joined by my friend and fellow podcaster, Taylor Eland. Taylor has an awesome show called Just Think, which I actually featured on just a couple weeks ago, where we have an excellent political discussion. But here we talk about Taylor and his upbringing and his life and his future career and his current schooling. We get into some pretty interesting topics, and it was kind of cool because this was the first interview that I've done with somebody who I've never met in person. So we'll get into that. Remember, after today's episode, take the time out of your day, just five minutes, to listen to somebody else's story. You'll be amazed at how interesting the people around you really are. Sweet. So without further ado, Taylor Eland, welcome to My Wax Museum. So... Um, so why don't you share how how we know each other? Um, so we met up pretty recently over the internet uh, in a little small podcasting group that I found via Reddit. I don't know how you found it. Yeah, and via Reddit. Was it via Reddit too? Cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we kind of jumped into this group with, I think, four or five other people where we're just kind of working with each other to make our podcast a little better and to, you know, develop some camaraderie and a network to that to improve ourselves and other people around us. That's how I understand it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty fun little group. It's kind of interesting, you know, uh, and I was just on your show, um, and I, and I mentioned how, how much I appreciate that, that podcasting community, right? Yeah. It's been a really cool community so far. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the, in the podcasting community at large, you know, as a whole seems to be, pretty inclusive uh we're just using the same words over and over again yeah and it's yeah it's been pretty cool to kind of learn and go through the ropes with it yeah yeah i love it and you've you've been you started your podcast uh six months ago you said uh it would have been late october so yeah somewhere around that yeah yeah and uh and so we'll we'll get into that a little bit later but right let's start with uh where you're from where where were you born so i was born in kissimmee florida Okay. Um, I, I apparently I lived there for like three months before we moved to Illinois. Okay. Yeah. And so then, real quick. Yeah, real quick, and I don't remember a thing about Kissimmee. And I only lived there for you know in Illinois for a few months before we ended up out in California. Oh wow! And then um, have you been in California ever since? And then I've been in California ever since, but I've been in different areas of it. So I spent most of my youth in a dinky white trash. Excuse me. My voice is giving out. <laughs> okay, so I spent most of my youth in a dinky white trash town called Korskold. Okay. Right? And, and the the trademark of Korskold is that as you're going towards Yosemite, yeah. uh, on Highway 41, there's this itty-bitty town with a teepee in it. So it's the teepee town on the way to Yosemite. That's, that's basically our claim to fame. And okay. yeah, it, it's not like a great place to be. It wasn't as bad when I was a kid, but now it's pretty much... Um, Lower middle class, if not lower class, a lot of drugs, a lot of um, poverty. You know, really, it's kind of a rough situation to grow up as for a kid. Yeah. And it, but it's not like, like, don't think Compton. It's more like a, um, there's not opportunity. So with the lack of opportunity, right. it just kind of leads to degeneracy. But it's not like violent, if that makes sense. Yeah, everyone's just kind of, it's, it's more kind of, of a sitting around. It's, yeah, kind of you thing. have nothing to do, and job opportunities there are basically entry level, and that's it. Okay. Um, 
you know, the closest big city to us is a town called Fresno. Okay. And yeah. Fresno is a pretty big um, metro for the, you know, on the western side of the states. But, you know, when you're 40 minutes removed from it and you're and that's your beacon of opportunity, it's not exactly the, the best situation for you if you can't get to it. Right. So I spent most of my youth there. And, you know, as in my younger years, you know, it's I was a very outdoorsy kid. I was the I was very small. I was very weak. I was very um, imaginative, though. And I would just go out, you know, hang out. We were on a house that luckily my granddad had owned because my parents in this you know area of lack of opportunity, they weren't doing so well for themselves. Right. Um, so I, you know, I would just go out and play in, in the hills and the trees and whatever. I was a little bit of an outdoorsy kid. I didn't realize how fundamental that was to my um, being until I ended up where I'm at now, but I'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. So probably the biggest thing about core school for me was that I had to learn who I was very early on because my parents were working. They were trying to put food on the table. They were doing their best to do so. Um, so I was alone a lot. You know, I was probably walking home from the bus alone starting in first grade. Um <clears throat> which even the kids in that area weren't doing too much. And it wasn't a terrible walk, but it was, you know, it was 20 minutes a day where I was by myself, alert, trying to get home. You know what I mean? Right. And when you're young, most six-year-olds don't have to deal with that. Um, and if they, you know, a lot of the ones that do, they live in urban environments and there are people who are watching them and there are people who are actually aware of their existence if they don't know it. You know what I mean? Right. You're not walking by yourself down a dirt road. Um, yeah. Trying to stay on the, the left side of the road so the cars that are going to the right can't just stop and get you. You know what I mean? It was just kind of fun. Right. And, yeah, you know, and what I was, I was a small kid who, like, I guess I had this complex because I just wanted to be as good as everyone else, but I was never getting there. So I was a slow learner um, for some reason, and I don't know why, and I know it wasn't the norm but i was passed like kindergarten passed me even though i didn't know how to read at all really really so i didn't know how to read early on and i don't know if that was a failing of teaching or a failure of my ability as a student right and <clears throat> i want to lean towards it was a failure of my ability as a student because i was five and didn't care you know i don't i saw school as daycare essentially right yeah and so i was a very slow learner and you know my first grade teacher realized i couldn't read at some point and in her trying to figure out why, you know, how to get me up to speed, they ended up pulling in this tutor who was being, you know, it was like some sixth grader or something and blessed this girl's heart for the patience she had with me. Um, you know, as everyone else is, you know, doing math and going further along with the reading and doing all the fun stuff, I'm sitting here in class by myself with this tutor trying to figure out how to read. Right. Um, and once I got it down, I think I kind of realized my my first stroke of some sort of genius, you know, and I'm, I'm not calling myself a genius, but it was where I realized there was something in me because I, I went from being the dumbest, stupidest, horrible, you know, most horrible reader in the class to within a few short weeks after I figured it out to being better than most of the class as far as reading levels go. Really? So I went from, yeah, like I just went from learning the freaking alphabet and figuring out how to put words together to chapter books, you know, I just skipped all the crap in the middle. Holy cow. Um, and I, I took it pretty far to the extreme, but again, I was a small kid and the, the, the big thing that I was worried about was running, right? And this is a little bit of a weird aside, but hmm. so I had gotten caught up to everybody you know, on the reading level. So now I was able to kind of be reintegrated back into the classroom. 
and my best friends were at the time were definitely much faster than I was. Yeah. You know, little legs. Like I didn't realize that my legs weren't a problem. I just thought that if I kept going, I'd get faster and faster and faster. Right. Right. So, and, and for like three years, this is my biggest goal is to like become the fastest student in my grade. And it's just, it was funny. It was one of those really? little sides that again, <laughs> looking back, I didn't realize just how fundamental it would be to my personality because I am one competitive individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I go through, you know, a couple of years of trying to figure this out, you know, and my, and I'm, my reading is getting better. My math is getting stronger. My, you know, I'm, I'm getting to where I'm no longer the dumb kid. Right. And third grade comes around. Um, there's like a set hierarchy of students and I'm not at the end of it on either direction, but I'm also not, you know, how, you know how kids are. Right. Um, so I, I wasn't like picked on in third grade, but I also wasn't the top of the class either. And I, you know, was playing football. I was trying, and I was running on the track, trying to beat everyone in races, you know, and of course tag and all those silly games. Right. Um, and one day I'm sitting in class, it's third grade. And I remember it pretty clearly. Cause like suddenly this administrator comes into class and walks over to the teacher and they talk for a moment. And then without like any further, whatever, they like list three or four names and they say, come with us. And I'm one hmm. of these names. Right. So then I, I, you know, we're led into this room. It's like a computer lab that was repurposed and we're led into this room and we're given a booklet. Um, and now I know it as a standardized test, but we're given this test oh, yeah. and, you know, we're given very minimal instructions. They give us a pencil, they give us a time limit and they say, do your best go. Right. Hmm. And I'm just kind of like, okay. And I, I take this test and I open up the first page and all I see are shapes and colors. And I again, looking back, I now realize what they were doing. But right. I, I'm sitting here as a third grader going, what is going on? But I, I read the directions and I follow them. And I you know, didn't realize I was playing logic games at the time. I didn't realize my IQ was being tested. Right. Right. Huh. So, so I, you know, it's going on. I'm taking this test. I turn it in. Um, you know, given the circumstances, probably the hardest test I've taken in my life. Not that it was hard, but like there was no prep for it. I had no background for it. I had no idea what it was. Right. There's in. no expectation. There's, there's no, yeah, there's nothing. I got nothing. And so I go back to the classroom and like a week passes by and I get this letter yeah. and I open this letter and it says, you've been accepted into the gate program, which meant like gifted and talented education. Um, and that sounds way cooler than it is because like every third student in the United States that I've seen so far in the schools that I've been into, even these dinky ones, they, they get into the gate program. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. And at least back then. So what it was is that, you know, you had shown that you had something, I guess, via this, what, what amounts to an IQ test and you get to take different classes. So while everyone else is learning their, um, you know, fractions and basic California history or whatever, you know, whatever right. the grade is, you, you get to go somewhere else. But the classes that I took in this, in this school were kind of art focused, which is funny because I have zero art in me, but there was like <laughs> dance and there was a guitar class, but I didn't take that one. There was a science class that I did take, but it was about clouds. It was kind of funny. The point is that your education was supposed to be supplemented with something from outside, you know, to make right. you a more rounded individual, more well-rounded individual. So I ended up doing that for a little while. 
Um, fourth grade rolls around, like third grade was weird. Fourth grade rolls around and suddenly, you know, I'm on a bus. I am, you know, as you got older, you moved more towards the back of the bus. So I was, you know, becoming one of the back of the bus kids. Right. And I ran into my first real experience with bullying. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I think they were sixth graders, but I'm going to be honest. I've blocked most of this out for some reason. Right. Yeah. And... It started one day with a blue shirt, and I was Blue's Clues for the rest of the year, and I don't know why, but that just got to me. <laughs> Holy cow. And it got to me, and I was like, I looked back, and that was the most pathetic thing to get under my skin, but I let it get under my skin for probably a solid year and a half. Yeah. Um, and I was a wreck. I was bullied profusely by these older students. No one came in to help. No one ever stepped in. No one ever stood up for me. Um, You know what well, I mean? I mean, it... it... It's a weird thing to bully a kid over, too. Right? <laughs> it is. I was blues. I think what it was, they made the joke, and then it, I showed that it got to me, and so I just right. I just ran with it. And I, and it took me a long time. I mean, you're a kid. You don't think about these things. You know, you don't realize, like, oh, if I kind of fight back a little bit, they might stop. Yeah, yeah no. No, not at all. <laughs> and it didn't help that they had a couple years on me, either. You know what I mean? Right. Like, what am I going to do? Punch him in the face? He's going to, And I'm, like, a tiny kid at this point still. I'm not... Not normal size yet. Not, not normal know, size. I don't yeah. know what's going on, but I was a late bloomer, and yeah. yeah so that that was probably the defining moment. Um, and it wasn't a moment; it was a year and a half, but the defining time of my upbringing, because like I was alone. People weren't standing up for me. Teachers, like there were some teachers that straight up went out against me for, for whatever reason. You know, again, this is not a great community to start with. So right. And I had to learn to stand up for myself and I had to um, learn to find my voice and I had to learn that, you know, I had to find happiness within myself. I had to unplug from a need of fulfillment from others. Right. Um, funny tie in from what we just did and on my side. Yeah. And yeah. after about a year of it, I think, you know, some lion like woke up. You know what I mean? And these right. kids would give me a hard time, and I would lash back out against them. I I was starting to get a little wittier. I was starting to try and whatever. And granted, it didn't stop because when you've been the emotional wreck for a year, you can't just come back one day, you know, suddenly not an emotional wreck, and they think that it's a fluke. You know what I mean? Right. And it continued until about the end of fifth grade where I was suddenly sat down by my parents, and we were told that we were moving. Um. And did that did that come as a relief to you? Actually, at that moment in time, I remember being devastated. Really? Um, because it's what I knew. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Again, I didn't realize what was ahead of me, but there were like I did have friends, and there were like friends. Most of the friends I had didn't ride the bus. Um, and granted, there were other fifth graders like me, but there was an individual in particular who was my best friend at the time, and she was probably a godsend. You know, for mm -hmm. getting through that area of my life because, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you're, my parents wanted to help and they wanted to be there, but they just, they, they can't go to school with me. They can't ride the bus with me. They can't, you know what I mean? The whole reason why I'm right. on the bus is because they're out working their butts off. Exactly. Right. Um, so, and they were trying to like teach me what they knew about life to try and get me through it. You know, you have to stand up for yourself. You have to whatever, but you never throw that first punch. You never whatever, you know what I mean? Like basic life lessons like that. Right. Um. So... No, it, at, at first it was actually devastating because I had some ties that I did cherish. And another thing, too, is that I knew I was moving to Fresno now. Right. right? And I don't know why, 
but like I was worried of murder. I was worried. I was worried of all these horrible things that happen in Fresno because you hear about them on the news, right. not realizing that like it's not really all that common. Yeah, um, yeah. And but that was probably a point in time in which I needed to leave that situation because I don't know how much longer I could have taken of it. Right. Yeah. But what had and happened? S- no, go ahead. No, no, go continue. What had happened was that my dad had gotten a job down there. Okay. And this was like, they, my parents didn't realize this is a moment we have to capitalize on it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was just, I don't know. I look back on it and like, I look at those, those kids and what they did to this poor child who was just, I mean, he was defenseless. Like I was not, I was a pathetic child. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> looking at me now is you wouldn't think that, but I was a pathetic child. And I, I just kind of have to wonder like why? You know, what was going on in their homes that kind of led them down this path? Hmm. Um, I'd be curious to see where they are now. But yeah. I also, I would like to meet them and thank them. Why is that? Is that, like, what did what did those interactions do for you? It gave me the realization that I control my own destiny. Right. Right? And if it wasn't for them, I would, I mean, granted... For better or for worse, I am a hard-to-interact-with person. I'm very crass. I'm very blunt. Hmm. Um, I'm very loyal. And I, you know, for those who care about me and I care for, I will go to hell and back for. Right. Um, but in the same token, I am, I do not trust easily. I do not, um, I read a lot into how people are. I can, you know, read body language and figure out people's motives with good accuracy, I mean, like all things, you can't figure out everybody, but like they've yeah. given me skills that have been extremely useful in academic circles, extremely useful at work, um, and they just started this fire in me that still isn't extinguished, that I am, you know, I operate best with my back against the wall hmm. and with pressure on my shoulders, you know, and I, and I almost operate better when I have a chip on my shoulder, which right. there's nothing I can point to outside of that that would have started that. Really, was that kind of your your only experience with bullying, or did it continue at all when you were in Fresno? So when I moved to Fresno, um, the, that sixth grade year was culture shock. Yeah. Because I lived in, for, you know, it's not PC, but it's the truth. I lived in this white trash culture. Yeah. And I moved into more of the suburbia of Fresno, not into the inner city. Okay. So it was the more well-to-do types. And that was a culture shock. The teacher, God bless him too. Um, he he had a lot on his plate with me because like I would come in, there were words that in my world were fine, and apparently in this new world were not. I was no longer allowed to say things like crap and stupid or retarded or whatever. And, really? And you know, and as a sixth grader, I'm like, but these words are so useful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they still are. Right. And, you know, some of the things that were just like roughhousing wasn't seen as too big of a deal where I'm from. But, you know, in this more of I I don't know what term to use without getting like super inflammatory, but it it was kind of a silly place to grow up because it was too sheltered. You know what I mean? So I, I, I kind of brought that dichotomy into there, into this group of sheltered children. And yeah, so the bullying started in sixth grade, but I had already had that fire. So I bit it. You know, it was one of those things like, look, I may be the new kid and you may think that you can do whatever you want to me, but I will fight back and I will take you down. Right. And 
turns out when people's first interaction with you is scary, as opposed to you just breaking down crying over a blue shirt, they take you a little bit more seriously. Yeah. So, yeah, but then they're then they're scared of you. So how did then, that how did that affect? You know, I think the rest most, of your schooling. I think it ended up being okay. And again, I bounced around in Fresno, so it it's okay. not like I was stuck with these kids forever. Right. Um, in sixth grade, I honestly didn't have a hard time. Like it wasn't that they were scared of me. I mean, some of them were, but there was also kind of this respect thing, right? Because mm-hmm. I knew they were different, and they knew I was different. Right. And I actually did, I mean, you know, makes friends pretty easily down there with, yeah. with the understanding that just just don't mess with me. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not going to allow it. Um, right. And, you know, I played basketball down there. I played baseball. Uh, football wasn't a thing unless you, like, did the after-school sports, and I wasn't doing that. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't. I saw that had to stop for me. But I did basketball. I did baseball. I was actually starting to become normal sized again, which probably helped. Yeah. And you know, suddenly the bones decided they wanted to get a little taller, and it happened. So, Hmm. yeah, I I actually didn't have too much trouble in that final year of elementary school. Moving to middle school, I had picked up a class, an elective called color guard. Okay. Um, I don't know if you know what that is. I feel like. I feel like I've heard the term, but my oh. school didn't have that. Got you. So, you know, marching bands, right? Right. Yes. You know, the flags and the guns and the swords. Right. Okay. That's, okay. that's, that's color where guard. I know the term from. That's I have a friend guard. who was in marching band. Yeah. There you go. Um, and so I was this seventh grade boy. I was the only boy in within a 50 mile radius that was in a color guard at the middle school level. Mm. And really? Yes. Um, it is not a place where straight men tend to go. Okay. Right. So I had, so in Fresno, in the area of Fresno, there's like Clovis Unified School District, right? And there's like right. five or six high schools. So the it gets split up in weird ways. You know, so the elementary school that I went was supposed to go to a school called Clovis West. I ended up moving to the Clovis North District. So I went to Clovis North instead. So again, I was restarting again. Hmm. And a few of my friends had actually went to Clovis North with me. So I wasn't completely alone, but it was still like a... I'm learning, I'm meeting new people again, right? So, mm-hmm. Color Guard was probably people's, like, defining feature of me because I, uh, it was just so different. This boy is in Color Guard, why is he in this girl thing? That's how they saw it, right? And Clovis right. North, for reference, is the richest, snobbiest kids in this whole city or metro area of Fresno. Really? Um, it is the public school of spoiled children and doctors' kids, lawyers' kids, um, the businessmen, you know, and they're, you know what I mean? It's like, it's where yeah. the established are most likely to send their kids to school or most likely to live. So they're, you know what I mean? Country clubs okay. type mentality. Um, right. And yeah. And if I thought the school that I went to previously was a culture shock, I was in for something incredibly new and terrifying and awesome at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, because I had this white trash mentality with me, and I had this ability to stand, you know, and you know, in the middle of fire and persevere and show my character. You know what I mean? And right. here I am, carrying around every day this six foot flag. Yeah. That I know how to twirl, because that's the yeah. term. I know how to twirl it, spin it, throw it, use it, and you know. People would try, like, oh, you're in color guard, you must be gay. And it was one of them, like, oh, you spin a flag, that's so girly. And it, it, my retort would always be the same, like, I have a flag, I know how to use it, and it's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and that usually stops it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there were some people who tried throughout my time there, but they never succeeded because I just never, never let them. So, like, 
the bullying continued in the sense that there were people who tried, but it, they never got any ground. Right, um, right. I, you, you, you maintained your, your position. You didn't back down. I didn't back down. Now, that being said, I do think I went a little too far in the other direction. Um, but in, in middle schoolers, they're all horrible. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. mean to each other. They they just lack sympathy and basic humanity. Oh yeah. Um. So I kind of went. I turned into the bully. After some time, and maybe it was I don't know out of some form of necessity, or maybe it was just I knew what worked for me, so I just took it to an extreme. Right. Exactly. You swung back on that because you had been bullied, and now you're right making sure it doesn't happen again right and it would be kind of interesting to go back and see like what i was like to see if i can figure out what caused it but regardless it happened i was respected um within the color guard community and since the middle school was butt up right with the high school i also knew the marching band um people in the marching band in that high school too so i was respected there too so none of it came from the band side of things like they all they all understood who i was what i was they all understood i was straight which that was important to me at the time. Right. <laughs> I, don't yeah. know, it, I don't know why, but it was. And and then within my classes, I mean, there were people who didn't like me, but that's life. And But there wasn't much of a bullying factor. And only like two or three people really tried with me extensively. Mm-hmm. And in one way or another, I mean, I, I just figured out how to beat them. But I, I turned into the bully for, you know, two or three other students whose lives I probably made miserable for a year. Right. And that's not fine. And again, I would like to see them again and apologize, but we're probably so far removed from it, it doesn't matter. Right. Um so that was middle school and there really wasn't much there. I mean there's like little things, but I don't want to get into it too much. Yeah. Yeah. And then and so then so then you, you did all of this through through middle school. Middle school for you went till grade eight? Grade eight, yes. Okay. And then and then moving into high school, what were you still in the color guard? Were you still participating in things like that? And how did your personality change? Right. Change there. So I did color at seventh grade. I started to do an eighth grade and I left the program because we, so we had a new instructor and they were going to force, (laughs) they were going to force me into tights and I was not down. And then normally the situation would be, okay, then we're just not going to let you have twice and let's see if we can find some middle ground. Right. But this instructor actually was like trying to force this idea on me and I wasn't having it. So I just walked out because I, I, at this point I already knew that I control, I controlled my situation. So if I wanted to leave, I just left and I took up some different elective and it was fine. So high school, again, I moved. We were actually kicked out of the house that we were renting because the owner had foreclosed on it and didn't tell us. What? Right. Wow, so, nice you know, guy. bank shows up one day and says, you need to get out. You foreclose on your house. And we're sitting there like, uh, we're renters. What's going on? You know what I mean? Holy cow. Yeah. That's... So we, so we had to move in like a week. Um, and that's hard to do. Yeah. Especially while you're trying to maintain schools and whatever, whatever. Well, it turns right. out we couldn't maintain the school situation. And so I ended up moving into one of the other Clovis Unified High Schools, which was probably a blessing at the time again, because... I was turning, you know, I had turned into the bully a little bit for some people. I had this reputation with me. Um, I've right. had a lot of reboots in my life, if you can't tell already. Yeah, which, I mean, can be can be hugely beneficial they to They can be beneficial and they can be horrible. Yeah, it depends on how, yeah. how it goes down. So I ended up moving schools again. Now, I had been removed from Color Guard for most of eighth grade. So ninth grade, I'm sitting down, you know, the summer before ninth grade, talking to my advisor. Um, and she's just kind of like, 
well, you did color guard before, you know, you can try that again. We have a class here for that. And I was very hesitant, but I didn't mm-hmm. miss it. Um, color guard was probably the one sport, and I will defend it as a sport until the day I die, regardless of what people think. Yeah. That I was, that I had a natural talent for. Um, especially on the, the flag and the weapon side, not so much on the dancing side, but I had a talent for. And I found enjoyment, you know, from. Right. And so I was like, okay, I had ended up, I got into the program, or I went into the program, and that was kind of my introduction to high school. Okay. And that was not the best introduction to high school. What was different about it in high school compared to middle school? Well, I had went from the snobby area yeah. to the epitome of a melting pot of a high school. My high school okay. was very unique yeah. from what I've heard. Because we didn't have cliques. We didn't have, okay. um, like there were, we didn't have extreme divisions of socioeconomic status, but we had everything. We hmm. had the hood, we had the middle class, we had the upper middle class, and, you know, everything in between. We weren't a primarily white school. We actually were very mixed. Um, we had people who were very, very openly gay, um, you know, and accepting and religious. We had a lot of Mormons for some random reason. Yeah. <laughs> and so we had everything. And it was good in the sense that everybody kind of acknowledged this and yeah. accepted it. And there wasn't actually that much bullying that I witnessed. I mean, right. you, you, you see it in high school in little ways, but it wasn't like there was the jocks and there was the nerds and they didn't get along. There actually was a lot of mixing between all the different groups. Really? Yes. And that was great. Yeah. But my introduction to high school was the color guard team where suddenly the um as you know you get older the stereotypes start to manifest. You know what I mean? Right. So there was on the within the color guard program there was three other men. Right. There was the coach, a senior at the time and a junior at the time. Right. And the three of them are gay. Um the coach and the junior are flaming. Yeah. And, you know, very charismatic, very outgoing. Um, and they have a couple of the stereotypes that go along with it. And then right. the senior was actually this very withdrawn, chill, relaxed person right. who just happened to be part of that community. Right. And then there's me. And since there are these three gay guys and all these girls, they kind of come up and they expect me to be, you know, I'm kind of like, nope, straight as an arrow. It's whatever it was pretty yeah. important to my identity which that's really weird to say as a straight person like being straight is important to my identity but it was during the yeah. color guard years because i was constantly labeled as the other it right you like, became a minority in that community it, yeah it's so weird interesting so yeah. weird um so you know being the straight guy though some of the girls took interest so i like dated within that circle for a little while and that year was it had its ups and downs but it was largely good um, I had started taking mm. honors classes as well. And the most fundamental moment of my academic career happened my freshman year of high school. And I'll get into that in a moment. Yeah. Um, but color guard was an outlet for me to, <clears throat> for me to just release. Right. And it was great. And, you know, I'm in this very catty culture. That's like the embodiment of color guard stereotypes. And I'm the person who ends up playing mediator because at this point I had relaxed a little bit. I had chilled out a little bit. Um, I wouldn't get involved in people's BS. I wouldn't get involved in the drama. And I often played middleman trying to mediate conflict, right? Right. So 
I ended up feeling up there, but outside of Color Guard, I mean, I was kind of seeing this oddity, and I was an oddity. Like, there's no denying that I was an oddity. But in the same token, again, when people tried to go after me, I didn't have it. Um, I was very vocal. If you know, especially if you lashed out towards me, I would lash out right back. I would defend myself to superiors. If a teacher asked me why did you do what you did, I would tell them straight up why. I wouldn't lie. Right. And that turned out to be in my favor every time because yeah sure you broke the rules but you were pushed and we know why you were pushed and you admitted it right apparently goes well apparently that's apparently goes I mean, well. looks like you started to figure it out once you got yeah. to high school eh? exactly yeah and that kind of became my what i was known for throughout circles but i also drifted a lot i, I did meet a lot of people and i knew everybody and everybody mm-hmm. knew me and I never had close connections outside of the color guard team my freshman year. Really? Um, yeah. So And then and then going through high school, did that change much? Right. So what's kind of set up the rest of the high school year happened towards the end of freshman year with my honors biology okay. class. Yeah. So I had wanted to be a doctor. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I was taking this honors biology class and I had this teacher who was wretched. Yeah. Um uh, failed me. Like we, so we had packets of homework, right? Stupid high school structure. And mm-hmm. she failed my first two packets on handwriting, handwriting alone. Right. And, really? And that's, that's really hard. And it's really hard to come back from that because that was yeah. like a solid third of the semester. And Holy it didn't cow. matter how hard I tried. I mean, I have crap handwriting to this day and it's just a, you know, part of my life. So right. she's like, I'm not even looking at this because I'm not even going to try and read it. Which, like, looking back, I mean, there were people in, there are high schoolers everywhere that have crap handwriting. If you fail every student with crap handwriting, you're doing a disservice to these kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had figured it out thinking, okay, I'm going to type everything. Yeah. Right, so I ended up typing everything, and that was annoying and hard to do, but whatever. And throughout all of this and towards the end of the year she sits me down she's like i know you want to pursue a career in the sciences i'm just going to tell you don't what yep she she was blunt she was mean and she's like you do not have it in you you're not smart enough wow right did did she think that was actually helping you i i think she might have thought in that like maybe you know, like oh i'm gonna set him on the path that he'll be more successful in i but in the same token i don't know what was going on in her head now, yeah. she had things going on in her life that, okay, fine, but that, that's not an excuse for you to be wretched. Right. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I still, like, to this day, I still loathe the woman. Yeah. But what she had done and what she didn't realize she did, or maybe she did, maybe she was very manipulative. I don't know. She had ignited that fire that I had, that had already been ignited before. Right. So now right. instead of it being ignited in a social sense, it was now ignited academically. And right. the... The saving grace of high school is that everything is standardized. So you could fail me on the homework that you have a bias in, but you can't fail right. me on a Scantron test if the answers happen to be right. Right, yeah. And the Scantron test made it to where I got – I was getting B pluses in her class. Like I wasn't even doing bad, and that was considering that she was failing me when she shouldn't have been failing me. Right. So you, so you sucked on the homework mostly because of her issues with your handwriting. Handwriting. And – and and then you nailed the tests. I nailed the test enough to do all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So so to move on in the honors class schedule, you have to get written permission from the teacher. And yeah. I take her this paper. I'm like, I get that you don't think I should do this, but I'm doing this, and I would like for you to sign this paper. And the only person it's it's told to us that the only person who can sign the paper is your previous science teacher. And she looked at me and she's like, I said you don't have a career here. Move on. 
I'm not signing that paper. Oh, wow. Right? Um, and I just, like, wasn't having it. Yeah. So, so I was like, okay, well, you're going to see me at Honors Chemistry next year, and you're going to, you know, you're going to get over it, right? Wait, and she was going to be your professor or your teacher again? No, no, but I was saying, like, I'm going to be in that class. Right. Regardless okay. of what you think, because I know what I like. And I do, I love science. Um, yeah. And in high school, I love science. And I wasn't the best student, fine, but I've never been the best student. That's never been my shtick. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, it's absolutely crushing to hear from someone that, what you want to do, you can't do because you're not smart enough. Especially right. when you think you are based on the signs you're getting. Right. So, and, you know, I had figured out, this is actually what I wrote my um, personal statement on for law school was this experience. Okay. And so, you know, and what I had figured out then is that I have an advisor. I wonder what she can do. Yeah. So I, so I go to the school counselors, what they were officially called, but they were advisors. And, right. you know, I talked to her. I'm like, look, if you look at my grades, fine. I don't have an A, so be it. But here's why. Here's why I need this class versus the regular chemistry class. Here's why I want to do this. Can you sign the paper? Hmm. Well, it turns out, under policy, they can. They just don't say that. Really? Really. And I'm going to go with this teacher had a reputation because she like heard my story, didn't even question it, and went, okay. And she signed that paper. And again, just another one of those people in my life that I would like to go back and thank. Bless her heart as well. Yeah, um, seriously. Because she had my back, not only then, but throughout all of high school. And I don't know what she saw in me, but she saw something. Yeah. You know what I mean? She had she my back when I wanted to do a special program that I then dipped out of. <laughs> you dipped out of it? Um, yeah, it, it was funny because it was like a vocational type of school. Okay. And I ended up in just a an odd program because i wanted to go into medicine but i ended up in like this biotech situation which was basically a repeat of the previous year so i went back to her i'm like okay do you know what this program is and she's like no not really and I'm like, okay well let me tell you what it is and then so the next time you have a student that wants to do it make sure that that you know what they're getting into so they don't waste their time like i just did right you know what i mean and i ended up so instead of retaking chemistry essentially which all the class really was was chemistry and yeah. i had taken honors chemistry and i did yeah. okay in honors chemistry um i was like I just gonna I'm gonna come back to the this school for the full day instead of just half the day and I'm just gonna take physics and move on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you, you so that was the rest of high school was ma mainly focused on science. Of course, you had to do other classes. Yeah, academically, I was focused on science. Um, I was becoming more and more political. Okay. Um, it, I thought I was brilliant at the time, and I really wasn't. Of course. And, yeah. And then, I mean, like, there are other formative experiences, but I'm already seeing how long this is going, so I'll spare some of the details. Yeah. Um, But the basic things I got out of high school was that, again, I control my destiny. I actually learned right. that academics are important, sure. Networking is more important. Right. It is who not you know. what you know. It is, yeah, life is who you know, not what you know. Right. And that's an unfortunate reality, and once you understand that reality, you need to utilize it. Right. So I got that. And then through, you know, a couple, you know, bouncing out of color guard again because it, because of issues and then a couple bad relationships. Um, I learned a lot about myself. And even though I'm this hard, crass, blunt person, I became very accepting and I became very understanding that hmm. has done nothing but pay dividends for me in my college experience. Right. And so, so then did you go straight from high school to college? Yes. Okay. And that's where you're at now. You said 
you're graduating in May? I'm graduating May 4th. I'm almost done. Holy cow. Yeah. But I mean, by the time this comes out, that'll be two weeks. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. And, 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 you know, it's just kind of my, my last, uh, my final word on that is that not only am I graduating in May, I'm graduating in May with a bachelor of science in biology and a minor in computer science. So take that teacher who didn't have any faith in me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's one of those stories that you know, some somebody says you can't, and you went out and you did. Did I you did. have a hard time in university? Like, what what has your college experience been like? Right. So, I went to this private, small Christian school in San Diego. Okay. So again, culture shock. Uh, right. I, I'm, I believe, but I'm basically a secular, and yeah, coming into this was rough socially but i i adapted pretty quick i had learned how to adapt you know you you get bullied and you become the bully and you go through high school you learn how to adapt and blend in yeah um no college i wouldn't say it's been hard i don't think it's been hard yeah uh but i also came in wanting to be pre-med be a doctor through a series again of life events that's changed and now i'm going to law school um and we can talk about that in a little bit but yeah no, I, I wouldn't say college has been hard, but my focus was never my grades either. Because hmm. well, I've looked at college since the beginning as an opportunity to better myself in every way. Okay. Yeah. So I'm here to learn, but I do not want to confuse that with I'm here to get A's. Right. And it's been, right. that's been a very healthy mindset for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that as a college student myself. Uh, and I mean, I've I've been working hard to get A's, but having that mindset of just learning and growing in general, and hey, if you get a bad grade there and a bad grade here, as long as you feel you're growing. So in what ways, what would you say is the number one biggest way that you have grown during those those college years? That's a hard one. I think the the biggest thing that I've taken out of college is that it's okay to not have a plan and more importantly it's okay to if the plan changes so probably the biggest thing that I've learned is how to be adaptable right you know what I mean because life throws weird things at you oh yeah um and you know my life up until that up until my college experience has been the testament of that, but in college it just continues to be weird. So yeah, I think the biggest thing that I, it's hard to put in one point, maintaining a willingness to learn and a willingness to better yourself and capitalizing on that and actually doing it is probably the best thing that I figured out during college. Hmm. If that makes any sense. But like also during college, I mean, I'm working in multiple jobs in multiple fields. Um, I have learned a lot and I have, again, networked and been praised, not because of my grades, although my grades aren't bad, but not, not because of my grades, but because of my willingness to learn, my willingness to put myself out there, my willingness to question, especially this last year, since I've stopped giving a rat's ass about what people think about me at all because I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, this last year has been really fun. And 
just kind of moving on towards, you know, being the best person I can be and finding myself there. So right. being adaptable is probably the most succinctly I can put it. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense cuz I I mean you said you wanted to be a doctor. So let's get let's get into that. You wanted to be a doctor but now you're wanting to be a lawyer. Right. Uh what what made that shift? So for context as to why I wanted to be a doctor, when my parents kind of started to climb their way out of poverty, my mom worked for a cardiologist um, okay. as a medical assistant. So she wasn't making money, but she saw the money he was making. And right. it was, you know, a doctor was always seen as a, this is a way out of the bad situation that we're in. Right. And that was ingrained in me, you know, etched in stone into my personality. I was going to be a doctor no matter what. Hmm. And I don't hold fault for my parents for doing that because they were doing the best they can to, you know, set me up for success. Right. Right. So uh, what ended up happening was that starting my freshman year of college, the doubts were really starting to creep in. Yeah. You know, but I, I had time to figure it out. So I wasn't worried about it. Um, and then I had shadowed and I wasn't, you know, the shadowing was cool. Um, but I didn't, when I had shadowed for a neurosurgeon, he was a brain or not a brain, a spinal surgeon. Um, you know, I walk into the surgery center and it's like, it's like a crematorium. It's just so sterile and it's so, you can just feel the agony within the walls. You know what I mean? Really? And that really stuck with me for whatever reason. And, you know, I get in and I see a person get cut for the first time in my life. And that was weird. Um, and, you know, I'm watching the surgery just kind of go through. And I walk out of it and I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. Yeah. You know? and, and all I could feel was the agony. And then also, since my parents, you know, through one way or another, because my mom was an MA and then she started her own business. My dad was turned into an administrator, but he started in IT. Um, you know, they all worked with doctors in their various positions. And I saw the same thing over and over again. I saw men and sometimes women, but mostly men who as doctors, their work became their life. Their family became second or third on their list of priorities. They were, you know, they had all this money and they could go on their boats and they could, you know, drive their nice cars, but their kids hated them or they just weren't present or whatever. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of my family. Right. So that was the biggest shift or the cause of the biggest shift. And then I go through and I go through the job, you know, with a couple of different doctors shadowing and I just see misery. And I'm like, do I really want to work in misery? Yeah. I don't know if lawyer is going to be any better for that, but it'll be different, I guess. Right. Right. And I mean, there are a million different types of law you can practice as well. Right. And, it's, and then, I, you know, Doctors, yeah, sure, you make people's lives better and you save lives. And you'd be like, well, you can find fulfillment at that. And that's what people kept telling me. But I'm like, can I, though? Hmm. I mean, you know, for every three people who I see, I can make one of their lives better. And, yeah, I mean, that's a great thing. But in the same token, that's a lot of misery to wallow in while you're doing it. You know what I mean? Right. And then you know, there was right. a class sophomore year, too, that just broke me. Um like academically it was easily my worst class that i've taken so far and i think that was the final straw because i saw the grade i had gotten in this class as the final you know the the nail on the head and i almost wonder if i did it on purpose subconsciously to close that door and have a reason for why it was closed right um or if it just happened or whatever but i'm also not convinced that it actually closed the door but when i had gotten the grades i was getting in that class i just went and i again a mentor in 
college who bless her heart and everything she's done for me as well um you know just kind of broke down and then realized i didn't want to be a doctor and then the next question was now what right um and Hmm. i went down the teaching track for a while i was actually going to do the high school thing yeah and started dating my current girlfriend um as it became serious that we were becoming serious i we have a um there are questions in our like in our futures career wise and what i wanted to do was make it to where there wasn't a question on my end so that no matter what she does our family's okay right so then i pivoted into law interesting and so so it largely comes i think it's interesting how um how family focused all of that is for you how how it's because you you want something that you can provide and that you can give and uh and hopefully hopefully you manage to find yourself in a position where you where you can really take advantage of that uh that future yes um that's exactly what it is yeah and so so looking forward to the future maybe i mean right now you're you're working on hopefully becoming a lawyer and and uh when we did your show i think it was or maybe it was at the beginning of this this episode we you mentioned how you know hopefully in five years or yeah it was your show in five years you said hopefully you're practicing and uh and so let's let's look a little further down the road maybe and say uh in in uh, or in 60 years where do you okay where do you hope to be that's way down the road and i know we can't get a perfect estimation but what do you want to look back on at your life and see that's 80. I'm going to change the question a little bit and say what I want to look back on yeah. on my deathbed. Okay, yeah. Um, I'll be surprised if I make it to 80. Um, what do I... You know, it, it really comes down to this. If I want to look back and I want to... I want my kids to be able to say that I was a good father. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was present, but that I didn't coddle them. That I made them right. better people. So... Right. I want them to be able to say that I didn't get caught up in my work, that I spent time with them, that I was present. And then I want that path to continue down the generations, you know, grandkids. And if by some weirdness, great grandkids, I want to be present as much as I can. Right. As much as, you know, life will allow me to be. You know, Hmm. I, I hope that I can look back. I hope that I don't have a failed marriage. I hope that I've had a, you know, a very fulfilling, um, marriage a very filling life and i i hope that i can look back and that i succeeded in not becoming the thing that i fear becoming the most and what's that and that's just a person who gets so caught up in his work that life just kind of moves on without him i don't want my kids to hate me i don't want my wife to hate me i don't want you know what i mean right you want to find that fulfillment Yeah, but I also want to put everyone in a position to where they can do what they want to do and succeed in doing it. Hmm. You know, so I don't want my kids to have to worry about paying for college like I had to. I don't want them to worry about. um, I don't want them to like, hey, I want to try this hobby. out. I want to try this sport. And I don't want to say no because I can't afford the cleats or something. You know what I mean? Right. So 
you want to provide that opportunity for them to work towards their best selves. Right. Whatever that means. Right. Well, that's awesome. Um, thanks for, thanks for sharing kind of your, your life story here. Uh, it's, it's interesting to interview someone who really comes from such a different walk of life than me. And uh, I mean, that's basically everyone that I've interviewed is completely different from me. And, uh, and yeah, where, where can people go to keep in touch with you and maybe hear a bit more of your story and your perspectives? All right. Well, so there's a lot there. Um, about my story, I do keep my story pretty well under wraps, but my public-facing personal accounts are at Taylor Eland, T-A-Y-L-O-R-E-A-L-A-N-D on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you'll find me on Facebook, and I won't. I won't accept the friend request, and that's just because Facebook's my private space space right. there. Um, but if you want to find, you know, what I'm doing outside of all that, you want to listen to some of my thoughts on some other topics, you can find my podcast. Just think on. Um, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Google Podcast, and a couple of other platforms that I don't have the names on, on top of my head. And you can find that at Just Think Pod on Instagram and Twitter, um, and then you can look up Just Think on Facebook. We're there too. You can go to JustThinkPodcast.com. Um, and what that is, is kind of the landing page for not only the podcast, but a bunch of other projects that I'm starting to get going. It's I'm trying to morph it towards being more of a publication. And what we mm. do on the podcast, I'm realizing I'm talking about podcasts and not saying what it's about. Yeah. We go into the philosophy, theology, um, and other scientific ologies of why people think the way they do, how different concepts interact with society, and how you can then argue around or for or against situations, right? Hmm. So recently, as of the day of recording, you know, I've been kind of tackling determinism in like a really weird abstract way. We have series on Marxism in the works, um, started and progressing in the works. We have a social media series, how that kind of has worked against itself, plus has helped society, why it's a danger for society and all the stuff in between of that. Um, a good life, which is like just what I and other people who I interview um, see as a good life, which coincidentally your topic fell perfectly into that. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and various other topics. It's not like a we stick to one niche and go with it. It's more of a if you want to learn, you know, just check it out. Generally, it's once a week. Sometimes I release two episodes a week and it's been a blast to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great show. I've listened to a few episodes now. Thank you. So awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll cut the recording there. Thanks again for uh, being on My Wax Museum. And uh, everybody check out Taylor Elan's stuff. Thank you so much for having me on. And of course, thank you for listening. But what I'd love more than you listening to this show is for you to go out and listen to somebody around you in your life today. Just spend five minutes listening to them. You'll be amazed at the stories they have to tell.